Hi everyone, this is Martin Willis with the Antique Auction Podcast, and we have a special guest today. First of all, on the other line, helping me out is co-host Rain Haynes. How are you doing, Rain? Wonderful. Thanks for having me back. Sure. And uh, our guest today is Mark Fagan. He is the expert for prints and manuscripts at Neal Auction Company in New Orleans, and uh, very glad to have you aboard today. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to jump right in and ask you a whole bunch of questions right off the bat here. Um, how did you get started in this uh, segment of the antique and auction business? Well, I was a, a dealer for 10 years uh, up in New York City, mostly handling books, uh, maps, um, anything paper, and about seven years ago my wife and I decided to make a move we had two small kids and uh, we settled in New Orleans and I decided to uh, go to the other side so to speak and work for an auction house <laughs> the other side yeah. <laughs> so I have experience um, you know on both ends of the, the spectrum so mm-hmm. it gives you a lot of good insight when you have both sides of it I really truly believe that uh, it's helpful um, because I can understand. Uh, I mean, there, we do deal with some people in the business, you know, not just, I guess, uh, regular regular people, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I can understand where they're coming from. Sure, sure. Were you always interested in this in growing up? You know, these these type of things. Um, I mean, I was a pretty normal kid, but I was always interested in history. Uh, you know, living. Uh, near New York City, we used to go to the you know Natural History Museum and uh, various museums like that. Mm-hmm. I always enjoyed history and um, uh, historical things. Uh, and of course, um, you know, on a class trip, we might go to Washington to the Smithsonian uh, Institution there mm-hmm. and see all those great things. Oh uh, uh, yeah, That's I always fun. thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It's really amazing. I think it's a- I think you guys are lucky that you grew up in that part of the, the world. I grew up in Texas, and I didn't get to go to the, to the Met or MoMA or the Smithsonian until I was a grown-up. And I right. think that I had those kinds of experiences when I was a kid. I might have gotten interested or involved in collecting or, you know, dealing or something like that, some aspect of this business, probably much sooner than I did. Now, I'm going to get into Audubon a little bit later on, um, a fascinating um, artist he was, I, I always thought. Um, but first of all, can you tell us a little bit about Neil Auctions? I've heard the name and saw the ads for many years. Very nice auction gallery. Well, um, we've been in business uh, over 30 years, and uh, I would say we're one of the largest uh, regional auction houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we handle uh, really things nationally. Uh, we also sell internationally uh, when it comes to usually paintings. Um, you know, if we have a Dutch painting, uh, it might find a home uh, there. Uh, we have French porcelain, uh, it might end up in France. Um, but we pull uh, our material, I would guess, maybe 50% regionally, uh, that mm-hmm. being Texas, uh, throughout the Gulf Coast, down to Florida, and up through probably Virginia. Mm. Um, although we do get consignments 
all over the country. So. Sure, sure. And we we run the gamut from furniture, paintings, decorative arts, uh, historical material, books. Um, so there's not really uh, too many categories we don't sell, uh, except for maybe specialty things like coins and stamps. Uh, we usually send those things to other people. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always noticed when I was down in New Orleans how the the French furniture is just amazing down there, the amount of French furniture and porcelain, decorative arts, things like that. Um, some of the most beautiful pieces I've seen in this country are down in that area. There's still quite a collectability uh, regionally for that, isn't there? Oh, sure. Hmm. Um, well, with the French influence right. uh, yeah. being one of, well, the major hmm. port for so many years, uh, the material uh, just made its way here and then channeled its way up the Mississippi to other regions. Uh, hmm. But we have, you know, houses, large, very large houses filled with uh, French furniture, uh, you know, gilt chandeliers, anything you would kind of imagine being, uh, quote, French. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people still do collect that here, especially to fill these these mansions and plantation houses. Right, right. Now, how did your how did Neil Auction Company handle uh, Katrina? but it was only, uh, well, five years. Right, uh, yeah. um, Or six years, I forget It was now. 2004, 2005, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, summer of 2005. And, well, basically what happens, uh, our business uh, people set up a satellite office in Baton Rouge where we took the server, uh, you know, our important data, um, and uh, all the consignment agents uh, pretty much spread to the, the four winds. Mm. And we started to work wherever we were. Uh, I moved back to New York with my family and was lucky enough to uh, get an apartment there temporarily. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we basically worked uh, you know, over the phone, over the computer, over the internet. Um, we had to postpone uh, our major sale of the year I'm sure. probably by a month and a half. Oh, that's um, all. Wow. But we were able to pull it off. I mean, come auction time, we were, you know, we would all fly down and uh, do the cataloging. And then for the auction, of course, we all flew in and and had tremendous uh, success, successful auctions. So, wow. Uh, we were lucky, uh, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of hard work involved. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it ended up being okay. We came back the next, uh, uh, most of us came back in January and were able to kind of get back to business. So hmm. it was an exciting time and a very stressful time at the same time. Oh, I'm uh, sure. <laughs> I'm sure. My mother is from New Orleans, so I spent a lot of time there. And, oh, boy. Uh, okay. And, uh, and I absolutely loved the town and was devastated watching on television. I, I remember when, uh, when Katrina came through, I was in uh, Baltimore doing the Baltimore Antique Show. 
Okay. And I and I remember coming in and turning the television on and seeing it, and it was just horrible. And um, anyways, it's, it's glad to see that an auction house uh, that has such a strength as yours does has has come back and, and has stayed in the city and um, and is doing exceptionally well. My my question for you was, um, and it kind of went along with something you were just starting to talk about, the, the French furniture. What, were there any other things that you see that is kind of a regional um, desirable uh, kind of line, like the French furniture? I guess um, probably um, you know, pottery uh, shows up a lot in your sale. But what are some other things that, um, that maybe the listener wouldn't um, think about that would be a strong suit that that uh, the Neil Auction carries? Um, well, there is the furniture, obviously, uh, because of the sizes of some of the houses. Uh, right. They're able to absorb these giant carved mahogany pieces, <laughs> which um, probably no other you know area can, uh, except maybe a few Victorian houses up in the north, or maybe the you know San Francisco area. Um, but regionally, I mean, there's a few very strong painters um, that uh, um, might not be known in other places um, from the antiques uh, like Clegg and Buck, who painted landscapes, um, all the way up to, uh, you know, we have George Rodrigue, which you know, some people get a chuckle out of who paints the blue That's dog. The blue dog, right? Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, blue dog. Um, very popular. <laughs> I mean, he's very popular nationally now, mm -hmm. uh, although obviously he started down here in Cajun country. Um, there's a few folk folk artists, um, Clementine Hunter, um, who paints a very naive kind of painting. Um, and there's um, William Aiken Walker. Oh, yes. Uh, He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Does very well here, and we have some very good expertise here as far as authenticating his work because there's a lot of reproductions around. There sure are. I've seen more reproduction the last, reproductions in the last few years of his work um, in the San Francisco area for some reason. I don't know. Right. I'm wow. going to say reproductions are, like, fresh off the easel. <laughs> right. Wow. Mm. So, um, and we have some, uh, which might be obvious, but, you know, Civil War-related uh, items. Uh, me coming from the North, uh, I, I, <laughs> it's kind of ironic. <laughs> I, handle, <laughs> I handle all the, you know, Civil War uh, material, be it... Uh, <laughs> guns or uniforms or any kind of manuscripts or paper related to that and there really is a huge following for that oh sure you know the lost cause so to speak <laughs> um one thing which is hugely collected down here uh is mardi gras memorabilia really um, would, I mean, all the old invitations that go back into the, uh, you know, late 19th century, um, they can get huge prices just for, you know, one invitation. Yeah. Uh, it could, really? could go for thousands of dollars. Jeez. Uh, whereas somebody, you know, in the north would just uh, not even know what it is. So. Right. Sure. 
regional, be it maps of the Mississippi, um, any kind of uh, Creole items, mm -hmm. um, be it furniture that was made by them, or uh, paintings or portraits of these people is very important to the institutions down here. And, and a small but dedicated group of collectors. So. Mm. Wow, that's fascinating. I always like to ask those kinds of questions because I always try to tell people that there are things that come up in your area that may not be popular in one area. Correct. You know, that, that you, should, you should still pay attention to what sells best where. And, uh, you know, for example, you know, the William Aiken Walker or Mardi Gras memorabilia, you could be in Michigan and mm -hmm. somehow perhaps somebody got transferred there many years back or whatever and you're going to an estate and you see this great stuff that normally you would walk past because, you know, it's not it's not of interest really sure. to local people. But it's a really good thing for people to know where it is of interest because if you have the opportunity to buy it, then you know where to sell it. Exactly. Um, you know, flipping... We have our next auction coming up, and I don't want to get too far ahead of your questioning, but uh, it's our Louisiana Purchase Auction, mm -hmm. uh, which is a sale each year in the fall that stresses uh, regional items. Mm. And just flipping through it, uh, I'm flipping through a brochure, uh, we have items from Admiral Raphael Sims, who was uh, the captain of the CSS Alabama. Uh, we have New Orleans uh, presentation silver, Confederate money, uh, Newcom a huge collection of Newcomb pottery. Newcomb uh, mm. pottery. Yeah, me too. It's very nice. And uh, and on and on and on. We have a uh, well, a nice. A beautiful uh, Persac painting. Um, who was a a French-born uh, person who moved to New Orleans, and uh, he was a surveyor uh, slash architect and painter. And he used to go down the. He made a famous map of the Mississippi. Uh, and he actually traveled uh, the complete length of it. Um, mapping the Mississippi, and he used to paint plantations along the way. Mm. People oh, yeah. would wow. buy them. And um, we have one in the sale that's, uh, I think, estimated about one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand um, dollars. It sounds like before you even said the price, it sounds like something that would be really important. Yeah, well, the places are known that he paints, so. Um, it's a historical treasure as well as an artistic treasure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, showing this particular painting shows the Palo Alto plantation uh, in Ascension Parish, which is um, you know northeast of here. But mm -hmm. it, it shows you the plantation on the Mississippi River with uh, the sailboats going by, and um, you can see the slave quarters. And everything is just in complete detail. Wow. That's just a snapshot of what was going on then. Is that image up on your website now? Uh, it probably is. Uh, if not, it should be very soon, but I would guess it is now. Why don't you throw out your website while, while I just mentioned it? Neoauction.com, mm -hmm. N E A L. Yeah. 
Right. Oh, you always have to say that the right way to spell Neil. There's a few different ways to do it. Do you yourself collect? Um, I would say not, not lately. Uh, when I was a dealer and I was buying and selling, you know, items during the week uh, constantly, um, uh, I would collect things like ski posters. Uh, my wife and I are avid skiers. Hmm. Um, so I used to buy and sell those, and you know we keep some in the house, and you know they would be constantly moving in and out. Um, mm -hmm. I lived in Prague for a year. Uh, my wow. wife is from Prague, mm -hmm. and uh, for some reason I started collecting uh, Czech photography books, you know, rare ones, um, because I was able to pick them up pretty reasonably. So I have a big collection of those. Um, but I would say now, <laughs> it's kind of like the, the shoemaker's uh, yeah. son doesn't have shoes. I, I just, mm -hmm. I don't really buy anything for myself anymore. I, I, just, I see so many objects here that... <laughs> uh, At the end of the day, you're hoping to shop even now. <laughs> My wife likes a very minimalist house, so uh, oh. I have one room to myself that's just filled with things. <laughs> the rest of the house uh, is, is kind of modern. So It's funny, I talked to an auctioneer, he, it's American Bottle Auctions, he's one of the largest bottle, antique bottle auctions in the country, and he used to collect bottles, but when he started the auction business, he stopped. He just said he's inundated with it all day long, every day, and he just right. it stopped him from collecting. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, now he's into plastic Dixie cups. <laughs> no, he actually started. He actually started collecting marbles. But I mean, that sounds kind of funny. But he has some of the rarest marbles right. on the planet that are just amazing. So mm -hmm. that's that's how we went with that. Um, can you tell us about the recent record price Audubon prints you had? Um, sure, that was the last sale, and uh, we had a very large collection, uh, about 64 Audubon prints. Uh, it was the largest collection to be offered uh, since 2004, uh, wow. you know, all at one time. Mm -hmm. um, it came from uh, a very well-known dealer, uh, Graham Arader up in New York, uh, who I've known for probably 15 years, and it was kind of an experiment uh, just to see what would happen if we offered, you know, a, a critical mass. Um, there was some, um, you know, we were we were thinking it could go either way. Maybe there was too many to be offered, uh, mm -hmm. but it ended up being a tremendous success. Uh, people flew in from all over the country. Uh, we had, you know, eight phones going, you know, during the bidding process. Wow. Um, and we ended up selling every single one except, I think, for three of them that bought in. Uh, wow. And the whole group did about $800,000 for us. So. <laughs> That's really amazing. We were very, very pleased with the outcome, um, and uh, I think if you have, you know, a, what I call a critical mass, you know, uh, you know, ten or more of, of one object, 
it tends to draw people, and this was something right. special. Uh, we did, uh, you know, get some world record prices, and uh, one of them was Louisiana Heron, <laughs> which we were really pleased with. Um, and uh, the, most of the world record prices for Audubon's are compared against the Saxon Meinigan sale. Uh, which Christie's had in 2004, mm -hmm. uh, and that was for a complete uh, set that was untouched and had royal provenance. Wow. Um, so anytime you approach, you know, the prices that that made, and anytime you exceed those, it's it's kind of a coup. So mm -hmm. uh, although, uh, you know, getting a world record price is, you know, maybe a one-time thing, uh, you're very happy when it happens. And this particular bird, the Louisiana heron, obviously um, had uh, local interest, and uh, it had very strong bidding by three people. Uh, it, it ended up uh, going to a local person in the area, but he was bidding uh, against a person living in New York, but whose wife had come from New Orleans. So. Mm. Um, it was kind of interesting. Now, I was surprised when reading about uh, John James Audubon that he had he had such a strong following in England. At, you know, when he used to he lived there for a while. Right. Sure you know all that. But uh, did you have any in English bidders? Um, I don't know if we had any international bidders on these particular lots. Um, we did have at one, uh, we sold a flamingo a, f a few auctions ago for, what was that? The hammer was 105000 <laughs> um, That's amazing. It was a New York uh, bidder, but bidding against a, an Englishman who had a house in the Bahamas. Huh. So he just, <laughs> he, he, just wanted wanted, down there. he just wanted it for down there. Um, uh, so that was pretty interesting. But what, what, what we found um, uh, was a lot of regional interest for these, for these pieces, uh, bidding against um, you know, our usual clients who we know in California, in New York, and in the Midwest. So that was nice to see. Now, um, a lot of times I've been, you know, do, I would do an appraisal, and I would see an Audubon print and it would look really good to me and then I'd have someone that really knew uh, you know prints and works on paper take a look and they'd say no this is a, a later you know a later edition uh, right. how how rare is an original compared to you know you know how many other like tons more um, you know later 19th century copies than there are the originals around well uh, nobody really knows how many of the Havel editions that were actually made. They were sold by subscription. Um, mm -hmm. I think from about 1825 or 6 to 1838. Um, so some people, uh, you know, stopped their subscriptions or never got them. But there's a general feeling there might there might have been 150 to 200 sets out there. Mm. Uh, there was also a later 
uh, addition, which was done in 1860, and those were um, chromolithographs. Hmm. Uh, consensus thinks there's about 100, there were 120 sets of those made. So, I mean, you figure that, you know, half of them were just trashed somewhere along the way because they're made out of paper. Right. So, I mean, there's probably uh, of each bird, uh, maybe 50 or 75 in the world. Wow. Um, no. Uh, and obviously, uh, the bigger birds get the most prices, uh, the, the large water birds, pink flamingo, uh, cranes, and things like that. And um, the little birds, uh, most of the ones that come from a specific area, like Kentucky warbler or uh, things like that, have a lot of regional interest in those areas. Mm -hmm. And, and, and 
it, when these were sent to the restorer, they ended up going to the museum, but when they were sent to the restorer, they came back, I was just, uh, I was floored, you know, by what somebody could do to bring these things back to life. Yeah, it could be uh, pretty dramatic. It, it really, it, for me it was. I mean, I'm, you know, pretty much a glass girl, and, and I know that what they can do to repair glass cracks and chips and they'll right. build half of it off. You know, you'll never even know half of it was you know, broken off at one point in time. But uh, paper was a whole other thing, and so I was very, very surprised, you know, the ability to repair paper. I was reading where he came back to his log cabin. Uh, oh, by the way, what an interesting life he had. But uh, he came back to his log cabin, and all his works were eaten by rats. Oh, right. And, yeah, so he started all over again. But that was a good thing because he decided to uh, really do, uh, take his time and do a really fine job. And, I, you know, that probably brought his career up. Um, but uh, have you ever seen any of his uh, oils or watercolors? Um. I've seen the watercolors. Uh, I think they're in the New York Historical uh, uh, Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they have a majority of them there. Uh, I believe his wife, uh, who was destitute at the time, sold them uh, mm. to the museum uh, for practically nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think they have most of them. We've had here... Uh, only one original Audubon, and oddly enough, it was a portrait. Yes. He started he uh, his, his mm -hmm. career, uh, you know, to make money doing portraits. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was an anom anonymous portrait, but it was uh, uh, an original Audubon. Was it painted the detail that he did his birds in? Uh, it, it was very detailed. Uh, it was a monotone, you know, portrait, uh, but incredible detail. You could, you know, tell it was a, a personality, so. Mm -hmm. I'm curious um, for something, yeah, it's, it's obviously a rarity to have an original Audubon, but I guess with it being a portrait as opposed to a bird, did that make a difference in the level of interest that collectors had? Um, well, I mean, it was about an eight and a half by eleven portrait of a uh, you know a gentleman, um, and I think it sold for about twenty thousand dollars. So, wow, uh, that's impressive. Not too bad. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, getting back to John Audubon's life, mm -hmm. um, boy, you know, you you read where first of all he went bankrupt when the the depression of eighteen nineteen or something like that happened. Right. Um, then, you know, he picked it up again. It, it just shows that he was a real survivor. I mean, he hunted for his family just so they could survive. You know, I mean, he went through many really bad economical times. Sure. Did he ever have a high time in society, or was he always struggling like that? I, I, I actually read his... Uh biography a few uh, months ago, and I, I found it fascinating, mostly in that his, his stamina uh, to just keep going, mm. not only physically by going, you know, into the woods for days on end, walking, you know, hunting right. birds, uh, just kept going, but mentally, too, just being able to, to keep going despite all these problems, but... 
I think in the in the middle, perhaps of his uh, you know his, his great work, so to speak, uh, when he was soliciting subscriptions, uh, he was the toast of the town uh, in Europe, at least. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, in England, um, maybe in Paris, um, and back home, I think, in places like New York and Baltimore, he was invited to speak at all the, um, you know, the proper clubs and everything for artists and, uh, I guess, scientific uh, clubs like that. So, uh, although maybe he wasn't as wealthy as he wanted to be, he was certainly... Uh, you know, respected. Mm -hmm. Now, it, I thought it was kind of fascinating that the um, in England that they collected American birds. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> <laughs> did he do any? Uh, did he do any work abroad? Um, you know, I'm not clear on that. I, I don't know that. Uh, I think in England, maybe. Uh, People were fascinated with uh, the wild, the wildness of America. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure of the animal, but I know he did. Uh, what was it? It could have been like a wolverine or something like that, which was an aggressive pose. Uh, I know he painted that several times and sold it to people mm -hmm. uh, in England. So. Mm -hmm. Now he painted from he painted from um, uh, I don't know a better way to put this but dead specimens didn't he? Correct. Yeah. Now was that for other wildlife as well as birds? Um, I'm sure it was. Hmm. Uh, you know he would shoot them and he shot an enormous amount of animals and birds. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I don't think the Audubon Society would like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean. Hundreds a day, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, when he was really uh, uh, doing his main drawing, and he would pose them on these. Um, uh, he would have a little wooden stand with wires on it, and he would set up the bird exactly how he wanted to paint it. You know, in a realistic, either in flight or uh, you know, leaning down in a water water environment. Um, and he would paint and draw uh, just like that. That's pretty amazing. So we're uh, we're getting near our time here, and I just wanted to ask uh, for you to go ahead and throw out the date in uh, of the next auction coming up, the Louisiana purchase um, date, and all that, if you would. Sure. Um, the, the auction coming up is our. Uh, it's our annual Louisiana Purchase Auction. Um, it's usually very, well, we have some great uh, regional things as well as uh, national, international furniture, decorative arts, paintings, and historical material. And that's on November 20th and 21st. Um, and everything can be seen on our website. Uh, two weeks prior to the auction. Mm -hmm. We have numerous photos uh, of each object, and we have uh, absentee bidding, telephone bidding, and left bidding. Um, so everyone should check it out. Uh-huh. 
and uh, and it's on live auctioneers. Yes, sir. Okay, very good. Rain, do you have anything? Uh, and you know what? And it's like uh, with my mother being from New Orleans, and I remember as a kid getting the blooms from Mardi Gras. When I was right. <laughs> and and I love them. You know, I, I it kind of what you just said made me think. You know, I would love to check that sale out. I don't know that I would become an avid collector right. of Mardi memorabilia, but I could. I would imagine I would love to have some invitation and maybe some vintage. The blooms or beads or sure. whatever it may be. I, you know, the shadow box something like that. I think would just be cool to be so nice, inspired me to spend more money. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Well, this has been a real pleasure. I know we only scratched the surface of of certain things. Uh, Audubon's very fascinating to me, and uh, it's really nice to speak um, to someone that knows uh, the subject. And thank you very much, Mark. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate yes. it. And <laughs> so this is Martin Willis with Rain Haynes and Mark Fagan, and we're signing off. Um.